Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. I'm Jeremy in Utah. And I am Ken in Indiana. And we're into baseball season! We are? Well, we're getting there. Pitchers and catchers have reported. When this releases, we'll be into spring training games. Got my Cubs jersey on. Yeah, it looks like you've been dumpster diving for shirts. If any of you out there have an appropriate shirt that you could send Ken's way, um, maybe we could set up a P.O. box somewhere in the Jeffersonville area, and they could mail you a, a fitting shirt. Are you done? I think a raccoon was living in that one. Is that it? All done now? I mean, if you're hurting for money, we can. I can send you something so you can get a nice shirt. Still going. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic, it's watered down, it has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. All right. Well, today we are going to be talking about separation. Churches separating from churches, individuals separating from individuals, individuals separating from churches, churches separating from individuals. We're going to talk about all that. Um, should be a helpful conversation for you. That's our hope. But before we get into that, let's maybe share a review that we've gotten on the podcast and maybe a 15-second life update. Sure. Yeah. So we got a, a, a comment was left to us that is just encouraging to us. We, we love getting these kinds of comments. Uh, we Someone said, great episode. So glad I found the show. I love the chart and have been using it to engage my teenage sons on our discussions about theology. And thank you, KJ, for that comment. And it means so much to us. That's exactly why we are doing this. We want to be a blessing and a help to the church to foster these kinds of conversations. And so we're really glad that it's being used and it is useful in that way. And what episode was that left on? That was a that, great episode. Yeah, the the chart and the church, episode two from season three, just a couple of, if you're on your RSS feed there in your podcast app, just scroll up a little bit and you'll see the chart and the church. Cool. Good. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that comment. Send us more uh, people who are listening. We know there are hundreds of you who listen to these episodes each and every time they get released, which is pretty cool. Uh, leave us a review somewhere. That'd be great. Uh, Ken, 10 to 15 second life update. We're continuing on. Um, I'm trying to think of, of any new, big, exciting things. There's not really a whole lot. We're just kind of plugging away. I've been working through a seminary class uh, I took an intensive ethics, Christian ethics. That's been a blast, wrestling through some really tough things in that class, but it's been really good. And then taking a Greek class this semester as well, and that has been slightly less good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, uh, church is going well. 
Uh, things are starting to warm up here. We had a big snow followed by, uh, you know, a good week in the 50s, which has been perfectly delightful to step outside nice. when the sun is shining, the birds are starting to chirp. Love it. How about you? Well, currently, the vehicle that I acquired at the beginning of this year is sitting in the parking lot of our church building, not going into reverse, uh, unable to go into reverse, it seems. So that's all. I bet you you wish you could go into reverse on that purchase, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? Earlier, I was stuck in reverse. Uh, so that that phrase can have multiple meanings depending on its context, can't it? Indeed. Ah, but that's okay. That's all right. We're gonna get this this car thing figured out, and I'm thankful. Thankful we haven't sold our last car, um, the one that this one was replacing. We haven't mm. sold it yet, so we still have another functioning vehicle to to use there. So anyway, things are all right now. Everything's good, and uh, the Lord's providing and protecting in a variety of ways, and. I'm very thankful. So um, let's start talking about biblical separation from others. (laughs) Uh, Lots to say on this issue. And we have not really talked a ton about this topic in our podcast history. We've talked a lot about the other side of this coin, being unified amid differences, uh, being unified as Christians, though we have some secondary and uh, third column disagreements. But today we're talking about how those disagreements can actually foster a healthy separation as opposed to a healthy unity. So um, how do we how do we get this going here, Ken? Well, I think uh, we have we haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about it as you mentioned, but we've mentioned it in passing, right? Especially in reference to the first column. And you know, it, it, when, when we talk about the second column, that's where we have really stressed the concept of unity. But really, there is appropriate times for separation, and we acknowledge that, and we affirm that, and we want to approach that biblically as well. We are not a podcast that's all about singing kubaya with everybody under the sun and just, hey, aren't we all just doing just fine? No, there are appropriate times for disagreements and for even separation in the midst of those disagreements, but that needs to be approached biblically as well. And so we want to understand the biblical teaching on separation, when it is appropriate, how to practice that in a, in a, in a healthy, God-honoring way. Uh, when separation needs to happen, we need to do that well and with appropriate grace, but we, it needs to happen. So... Yeah, so to give nutshell uh, ideas here, true biblical unity is recognizing God's people on the basis of God's Word. That is true overarching unity where a Baptist and a Presbyterian and an Anglican and um, a non-denominational type person, whatever, can all come together and say, look, we agree on these issues, these primary issues, we are all Christians, regardless of the other differences uh, that we have. However, there is a movement called ecumenicism. Uh, You may have heard of the ecumenical movement, which looks to blur the distinctions that matter. So again, thinking back to those from different denominational backgrounds coming together, they see that there is a line that can be crossed where a person goes from 
<laughs> affirming Christian truth to rejecting Christian truth. There's a line there. Uh, take one doctrine that's super important, um, bodily resurrection of Christ. Someone goes from believing or affirming, rather, the bodily resurrection of Christ to then denying the bodily resurrection of Christ. Well, that person is no longer a part of Christianity. That person is actually denying Christianity because you're denying that very important doctrine. Ecumenicism, or the ecumenical movement, says, you know, I know there are lots of important doctrines out there, but love is the most important doctrine. You know, you'll hear something like that. Yeah. Um, this is what gets talked about in the progressive movement a lot, where they still want to claim the name Christianity, yet blur the lines that matter. And we don't ever want to blur any lines, whether they're primary or secondary or tertiary. We think all the lines should be well-defined, but the level of importance with which we regard those lines needs to vary, and we cannot budge on those things that are primary. If someone comes along and says, look, you know, I, I'm a Christian. I just don't believe the Bible is authoritative and sufficient. I think we need X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. Okay, well, that person, uh, and, and I'm not like, looking to say that person's a demon and, uh, you know, I'm not looking to, to cast any particular individuals in a bad light or anything. It's just objectively true that that person is denying Christianity because if you deny the sufficiency of scripture and the authority of scripture, you have no Christianity left. So we recognize unity in those things and we reject ecumenicism, which looks to blur those distinctions that matter. Yeah. One phrase that many people have may have heard from from different individuals is maybe a, a decrying of doctrine in general, saying, "Oh, I don't, I don't like all this doctrine talk. Doctrine divides," and that statement is absolutely correct. Doctrine does divide, but we don't view that as a negative thing necessarily. Yeah, the presupposition in that statement is that division is evil, right? And that's not true, right? There is appropriate and godly division that must take place. Truth, I think, he was. It's uh, was it in our intro from last season before? From, nothing divides like truth. nothing divides like truth. Yeah, the truth by nature is divisive, and so we recognize that, and there are appropriate times when that that needs to happen. So, yeah, yeah. and and thinking on the unity side of it, the unity that we have amid our disagreements. So again, going back to, we'll just use Baptists and Presbyterians. Those are the easiest to pair together. Um, the Baptists and Presbyterians that have unity in Christ, they are both children of God. Uh, you know, you don't have to be Baptist to be a child of God or be Presbyterian to be a child of God. They are both Christians, yet they have these disagreements. Well, that doesn't mean then that we say our disagreements don't matter at all right. if they're not in the first column, right? It's like, oh, secondary disagreements don't matter at all. Therefore, we won't even talk about them or we won't try to convince one another. We won't debate. I think those conversations are healthy, that conv trying to convince one another, teaching one another, admonishing one another in all things is good. So there's a lot to balance here. There's a lot to know and understand. And I kind of hate to phrase it this way, but it's kind of true about the politics of things <laughs> as people and denominations get along and partner and don't partner and separate and all that. So we want to, we want to get into those issues here in just a moment, but hopefully that helps set the stage for this conversation. Is there anything to add in the introductory part of this, Ken? I don't think so. I think, you know, when I, recently I was reflecting on, uh, an interview that we had, uh, with, uh, 
Seeker Start podcast, if anybody wants to check that out. And we were talking about that second column and the, the importance of unity, even in the midst of disagreements. And as I was reflecting on that, it struck me that we're, that it may have, it's possible that it could have come across that we're saying that these things are either not important or we shouldn't even talk about them at all. And that's not the point, right? We, unity doesn't mean that I'm not going to try to convince you. I, you know, we think of like the cage stage Calvinists that are always out there trying to win everybody to the for the sake of Calvinism. Yeah, we got to get everybody Calvinist as the cage stage. Those conversations are important, right? The 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 doctrinal distinctives that an Arminian and a Calvinist are going to hold to those distinctions are going to be important. So it's not that we shouldn't talk about those things. But those conversations need to ta- be ha- taken place with an attitude of grace when it's between two brothers or sisters in Christ. Yeah. The cage stage aspect is that's dangerous territory to walk into when it becomes a militant Christianity towards whatever particular doctrinal position you may hold. So the grace is very, very important amongst and believers. humility. Yes. Um, in context, I mean, there there's a time to have those conversations and a time not to have those conversations. Uh, and as long as there's grace and humility with all of that, it'll all work out. It'll be okay. Um, and you'll start learning when to bring things up and <laughs> when not to bring things up. Um, but yeah, uh, it's those are some choppy waters, but you can navigate those as you learn and grow in Christ. So um, to get us started off into the deeper aspect of this conversation. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 5. And what we'll see in this passage, it's the last five verses of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13. What we see here is that separating is just as important as coming together in unity. Uh, The aspect of separation is just as key and vital in some cases as unity. We don't really like the sound of that. We like unity a lot better than we do separation. But just because we like one thing better than the other, that doesn't mean it's uh, more important or whatever. Uh, We have to see what Scripture has to say and submit to it. So uh, 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and referencing a former letter that, that to the Corinthians that we've lost. Um, I shouldn't say we've lost. Yeah, I guess I should say we've lost. Humans have lost. Uh, God did not see fit to preserve that letter. It was not um, inspired scripture for us today. So Paul is referencing this former letter that we've never seen, and he says, I wrote to you in that letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. All right, so Paul here is saying you don't need to separate from worldly sinners, those who are not Christians and living a sinful lifestyle. Don't refrain from associating with them. They are of the world. What do you expect, right? But he did write to them to disassociate from immoral people. Well, what kind of people then? It says verse 11, actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? 
but those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. That's pretty good uh, straightforward teaching there, wouldn't you say, Ken? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very striking language in many ways, especially the end, towards the end, where, you know, we are we are quick to, you know, we, we, we want to be careful about how we understand the language of judgment and judging. Uh, we want to judge with a righteous judgment. Uh, but just that, that last phrase there, to remove the evil person, the, the ESV says, purge the evil person from among you, which reckon, harkens back to uh, the, the concept of, of a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You need to purge the leaven so that it doesn't infect other aspects of the lump of dough. The evil is going to infect other aspects of the church. And so that's why that is so critical to be practicing biblical church discipline, is, uh, yeah. which are scary words. <laughs> the particular situation there in Corinth at this time was a man in the church had his father's wife. We understand that to be his stepmother, not his biological mother. And he was living with her as though they were married. And this, of course, is sinful. This is sinful on a variety of levels. And the Corinthians had gotten to the point where they just accepted this. They weren't addressing it the way that they were supposed to. And so Paul writes to them and saying, look, here's a guy who claims the name of Christ. He is, as verse 11 says, a so-called brother, and he's living in this way. There has to be a separation that occurs. We can't go on, Paul is saying, we can't go on with this guy there acting as though there's great unity among you. There has to be separation on this issue. He claims the name of Christ, yet he is affirming this lifestyle. That can't happen. So Paul's saying, for those who are on the outside, the world, leave the judgment to God. God judges them. But he's teaching them inside of God's family, there needs to be strict discipline. Because a so-called brother living this way, you shouldn't even eat with him, Paul says. Don't even eat with such a one. Don't give him any sort of affirmation in any way. And that that's painful, but it's important. Yeah, and so that passage is, the context is behavioral issues, right? Sin issues where he's living living in sexual immorality. There's another passage of Scripture that speaks to doctrinal issues. Second John, there's it's just one chapter, so Second John mm-hmm. verses 9 through 11 says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So here we have a separation that needs to take place over doctrine, over theology. If anyone does not abide in the teaching of Christ, we are not to welcome that individual as and affirming them as a brother or a sister. We're not to welcome that individual into the church. And if we do so, it says we take part in his wicked works. False doctrine is evil. It's wickedness. It's not just wrong, it's, it's evil. And so this, this kind of separation, it, it's applicable in terms of when there's aberrant behavior. It's applicable when there's aberrant theology as well. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And you can use the chart as a guide for these things. You know about the chart. 
Uh, we talk about it all the time. Do theology.com uh, slash chart. That's exactly right. That's where I just went to pull it up real quick. Even though I should have it on hand for every episode, I don't. And here I am pulling it up with the link that's provided at dotheology.com slash chart. We believe that the chart is a guide to these things. Um, it can be used as a guide. Primary doctrine, secondary doctrine, doubtful things. There are three columns that make up this chart. And under each one of those column headings is a subpoint, a subheading, a statement. Under primary doctrine, it says truth that affects fellowship with others. Under secondary doctrine, it says convictions that affect ministry with others. And under doubtful things, it says conscience matters that affect friendships. So as you consider this idea of separation in particular, take everything else out of your mind and just think about separation. In the primary doctrine, we are talking about Christians separating from non-Christians. In the case of the man in Corinth who had his father's wife, he was a so-called brother who was living like a non-Christian. <laughs> they didn't know the status of his soul, just like none of us exhaustively knows, truly knows the status of anyone else's soul. Only God knows that with any uh, true certainty. However, this man had a confession, a Christian confession, and went on living like a non-Christian. Therefore, there had to be separation from this man because of a primary issue, the issue of biblical morality. He was openly sinning without repentance. Therefore, separation was necessary because you can't have uh, a Christian church affirming and welcoming and keeping and even encouraging a non-Christian lifestyle. There must be a separation between Christianity and non-Christianity. Isn't that right, Ken? Yeah, and uh, Christ, um, Christianity and professing Christianity that is not really Christianity, right? <laughs> Which is kind of a mouthful to say, but it's Christians, it's separating Christians from non-Christians when they are professing to be Christians, which is the uh, the thrust of that passage. Again, we're not talking about people who are out in the world. We're talking about individuals who claim to be believers in Christ, who claim to be a brother, and yet their lives are not that way. Mm -hmm. So, um, In the secondary doctrine column, convictions that affect ministry with others, now we're talking about individuals with churches, or churches with churches, or Christian organizations with individuals, or vice versa. That's the kind of thing that's going on here, um, where there needs to be a deeper level of agreement beyond just the primary doctrines. This is, of course, how we have our denominations. So this is whether someone's a Presbyterian or a Baptist. Uh, you can't affirm the Presbyterian view on baptism if you're a Baptist, and vice versa. So that's what's going on here. And then in doubtful things, these are the conscience matters that affect our friendships. This is pretty much just individuals with individuals at this point. We're not talking about churches with churches or churches with individuals. We're talking about individuals with individuals. There are some cases where organizations will have requirements of their members that go into this category. However, I would say that 99% of the time, that is unnecessary. Would you agree with that, Ken? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think I'd agree with that. So, yeah. In the spirit of Christian liberty, it's great to maintain liberty in these areas, even within uh, a Christian organization or a, or a church. However, I, I do want to leave the, the door open for some scenarios to exist where that's appropriate. Uh, for instance, I was a member of a missions agency that required you to sign a document that says you will not drink alcohol. Easy for me to sign. Uh, there's no draw there for me. Uh, but just recently, after we resigned from that missions agency, they've changed their handbook, and now you can. It's just oh, yeah. you're you're saying you won't get drunk. Okay. So there's an example of that um, being an individual with an organization. But oftentimes, this is just between individuals where your consciences aren't on the same page, and so your friendship is going to be affected by that. And most of the time, when that sort of stuff is a part of some kind of organizational requirement, I don't know, is it safe to say that it's kind of a holdover from— Maybe a legalistic era of days gone by, perhaps, where um, that, that was viewed as more of a litmus test for primary <laughs> issues. It's Yeah, it's a holdover from days gone by where battles were fought and overreactions were conjured mm. through those battles. Yeah, that's probably yeah. fair. Yeah. So, but, but you can imagine, you know, as two individuals in a church, like say you and I were lay people in the same local church— um, and we had different views on, well, we'll take holidays, for example. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ken. Uh, but, but say that you were more adamant about your view on holidays than you are, because you, you're, you are pretty laid back about it. Mm-hmm. But, but say that, I mean, I've met Christians before who were adamant about no celebrating Christmas at all. And I, I think the majority of Christians understand, yes, yeah, Santa Claus in church, eh, weird. Um, Christmas tree, though. You know, I think that one might be closer to the middle of a, uh, you know, with a split 50-50 type of deal, but I'd say the majority are probably okay with it. Uh, In the lobby, maybe when you move it to the auditorium, (laughs) the majority are not okay with it. I don't know. But but say you were just really fired up about that issue, and you liked your church enough, you were going to continue going to your church, but if I said, hey, Ken, will you be on the Christmas committee for our church? as we look at organizing programs and doing decorations and blah, 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 blah. That issue then, that would affect our ministry together. If I was heading up the holiday programs for our church and you had an opinion that holidays shouldn't be celebrated by church. And I'm walking right. in like Mr. Grinch trying yeah. to tear it all down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So our friendship would be affected that way, and even our local church ministry would be affected that way. Um, but, but this, a lot of this stuff happens within the context of the local church where people are going to the same local church and they just aren't clicking in all these areas because we're different people with different convictions and that's okay. Right. Yeah. And that's in the, and a lot of these things are going to be, again, go back and listen to the, the chart in the church episode for a fuller discussion on how to handle different issues within that third column as far as the, the particular issues. Um, we give lots of examples of what yeah. some of those examples are and, and how that plays out. So, And what we're saying today is that these are separation issues. Right. So yeah. even though it seems like, oh, we're just, you know, not on the same page on this or whatever, it actually is to an extent a separation. Um, and, and it's okay. It's, good. It's healthy. It's fine. Um, and again, that doesn't mean you never talk about it. It's okay to 
talk through these things and debate and convince. I mean, we don't want to just shut our brains off to it and say, um, my conscience is settled for the rest of my life and I don't want anything to change. That's not okay. Right. We should, even though we're, we're separating on this issue now, we should have healthy debate over it. And, uh, we can see that within the context of the local church and with our friends, uh, and the nature Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off there, but the nature of that separation is going to look different than the nature of separation in these other columns. Yes. So we want to make that distinction too, just because I'm saying, okay, I'm, you know, it's going to cause an issue if 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 I have a really strict anti-Christmas policy and you're asking me to be a part of the Christmas decoration committee. Yeah. There's going to be some issues there, and it'd be wise to not be a part of that. That's a different kind of separation yes. than me saying, you're no longer a Christian and we need to put you out of the church. <laughs> right. So, I mean, here in a moment, we're going to talk about the difference between formal separation and informal separation. So this is definitely at an informal level, a healthy Christian disagreement level, um, individual con- conscience matter thing. But as we move up now and we're going into secondary and primary, talking about scenarios where people separate... You, dear listener, I want you to think in your mind about how the seriousness goes up from here. So if we're talking about a Christmas program, that's a lot different than a man who has his father's wife. (laughs) You should recognize that. Now, even though they're both separation, they both fall into the category of separation, there is a different level of importance and a different level of severity with them. So um, secondary column then. Now we're moving out of the same local church. What are some scenarios of what separation would look like in the secondary column? We we, we use baptism already. Yeah, that's an yeah. easy one. Let's think of another one besides baptism. Um, um, probably some eschatology do, stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we've got them listed there, the worldview-shaping right. items. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much any of those could be. Well, you and I are members of an organization that five-point Calvinists are not allowed to be a part of, and we are losing our five-point Calvinists. Don't hit stop. Don't hit stop on the podcast. Don't unsubscribe. Don't do it. Don't do it. There are some organizations that will draw a line on that secondary issue, and this is not a denomination that we're talking about. This is a Christian organization, and one of the membership requirements is that you um, affirm... Christ's death. Is it affirm Christ's death for all or reject limited atonement? I don't know which way it's phrased, <laughs> but, but you, you can't be a five pointer and join the organization. They draw a line there. Um, sign gifts would probably be another one. Like the, the missions agency I referenced before that I was a part of, you could not affirm the continuation of the sign gifts and be a member of that organization. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there are some there are some organizations that say I don't know if they would say you have to be a five point Calvinist, but you can't be an Arminian and join. Right. You know, they draw a line on the reformed aspect of our soteriology. Well, I think you know so. Yeah, I mean like founders ministry, they're they're gonna be pretty strict on I think on the doctrines of grace. You have to you have to affirm those things, I believe. And so and for and I don't know if there's there's a reason why you're not saying the organization that we're a part of or not, but I'm not officially a member yet, so I'm afraid to say anything. <laughs> well, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I am a member. I'm not afraid to say. Uh, IFCA International, 
um, Independent Fundamental Churches of America as it was once known, IFCA International as it is now. Um, but yeah, that's just one of the doctrinal distinctives is affirming um, we believe the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for all mankind. You know, that, and that's, that leaves off, that's that, I just read that from the doctrinal statement, that leaves off five-point Calvinism. Indeed it does. Yeah. So, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and we, now, we're, we're talking about organizations here, but obviously the most applicable way that this plays out is with local churches, when you go to join in membership. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, most churches have some form of formal membership where you go from being a, an attender, a regular attender, to being an actual member of the church. And when you do that, you need to affirm the doctrinal statement they have in place. And that doctrinal statement often won't just have primary doctrine, but they'll get into some secondary things about uh, the way that they interpret Scripture or their end times views or whatever. Yes, Kenneth? I was going to say, not all churches operate that way. <laughs> so, some churches... You, I said often. Okay. I, often. Not Well, when you, not when, always. when you mentioned membership, uh, you said you have to agree to the doctrinal statement. A lot of times... A lot of churches operate. You have you're agreeing to be taught this doctrine. You don't have yeah, to agree. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah, I didn't make that point. You're yeah. right. So that's that's all I want to say. Which we can. Yeah, that's a debatable thing altogether on its own. Another yeah. episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they'll, they'll say um, in becoming a member here, you're agreeing not to teach against these yes. things yep. or mm-hmm. whatever. You're agreeing not to uh, cause division on these issues. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And depending on how deep the conviction is for you, like if it's a hermeneutic issue, that is a major issue. And it would probably be foolish for you to join that church uh, because you probably won't be able to help yourself from <laughs> talking about it. Um, there are people who are really fired up about end times. And if they disagree, if the church formally disagrees with you and you can't help yourself, don't don't join that church. So that those are some ways that that plays out in the secondary column. And then the primary column is probably the most e- easy uh definition for this, isn't it? I would think so. I mean, uh, you know, we, we're into pretty clear demarcations of, okay, these are the primary truths, and once there's a breach on these things, and a person is going to persist in that after a confrontation, at the church level, we're, we're looking at a church discipline scenario where someone is disfellowshipped through excommunication. If they refuse to, if they persist in their wayward theology or behavior. Uh, this can happen on a denominational level. If there's a church that has uh, ab- abandoned the, the doctrinal statement or has abandoned these primary things, that that denomination is going to say, okay, you can no longer be a part of our denomination, etc. And and then even on the individual level, you know, if, if I am a part of a church and that the church starts drifting, well, then I have a responsibility that, okay, maybe I go to and talk to the leadership of the church and ask them questions and try to reason with them from the scriptures, but if they're going to persist in that, I don't have the authority to kick them out of the denomination, but I can leave the church. Mm-hmm. And it is my responsibility to 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 do that after having the conversations. And, and I do want to stress that point. If you're an individual and, and you're seeing this drift, you have the responsibility to address your leaders on that issue. You don't just leave right out of the gate as soon as you hear something that you think might be violating first column issues. You need to address that with the leadership, and if there is a continuance in that aberrant theology or behavior, at that point it is appropriate, and I believe you have the responsibility to leave at that point and, and find an, another church that's going to be faithful. 
And this gets into what we're going to call today formal separation. <laughs> and I, I don't know if these categories already existed, but this is what we're using. And uh, these are subject to change as we think through these things more. But for today, um, when separation occurs on the basis of primary doctrine, when you've done your due diligence and you get to that point where it's time to separate, this is what we're going to call today a formal separation. And it doesn't just happen between individuals and churches or individuals and individuals. It happens with churches and churches or denominations and churches. Just uh, the day we're recording this, Al Mohler's daily briefing was about how the Southern Baptist Convention formally disfellowshipped four churches, two of the churches because they are affirming homosexuality and two churches because they have a convicted sex offender in the pastorate. They have formally disfellowshipped over these issues, meaning these are primary issues. They There's no wiggle room on them, and they violate uh, biblical morality. So, this, so when we think about first column separation or formal separation, these are the bullet points you can have in your head. It's based on primary doctrine. It applies to all levels of Christian cooperation, meaning we can't partner in any way, shape, or form because of this issue. It could involve a public announcement, like Al Mohler today, uh, announcing very publicly this issue. So it's first column based. It, it applies to all levels of cooperation, and it could even involve a public announcement. Is, um, is there any situation yeah, where it wouldn't involve a public announcement? Because um, it seems to me that— Yeah, I mean, if it's an individual with an individual. Yeah, okay. Or yeah, an individual yeah. with, a, with a church, like the scenario you were giving, uh, that is probably not best for that individual to just go online then and <laughs> Put everyone slam on the church or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, that could be done and could even be done rightly, but— I could also conceive of scenarios when that's unnecessary. Yeah. So I suppose it just depends on the nature of the relationship and how publicly maybe they work together and why they're separating and a whole lot of yeah. scenarios where wisdom needs to be applied. Well, and even in how public varies too, like in a church discipline situation, when it goes to telling it to the church, it ends there. You don't call the person's employer and say, right. mm -hmm. hey, just so you know, uh, we did this. Again, there could be a scenario where, where that's fitting, but in, I would say in the majority, <laughs> you don't need to be doing that sort of thing. So, so yeah, um, the Southern Baptist Convention is dealing with a lot of these issues today. And I have in my never formerly nicotine stained fingers, a little homage to Rush Limbaugh, I have an article uh, from Founders, and I don't know the date on this article. Um, I was, well, he references a 2020 event, so not that old. Yeah. But uh, Tom Askell, writing for Founders, is talking about the interesting times in the Southern Baptist Convention. The title is Interesting Times and Changing Times in the SBC. And he references a pastor, David Hughes, a Southern Baptist pastor, who, how should we say this, uh, is very seeker sensitive. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. I mean, just, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, the church has installed a, a female pastor alongside him, and they have done some sermon series titled 
the world's largest strip club. It has the tagline, come get naked with 5,000 of your closest friends without taking your clothes off. Uh, another sermon series, the Bible's Game of Thrones, a riff on a, well, this is now Tom Askell's comment. It's a riff on a pornographic television series that features the abuse of women. Um, and they also had a sermon series called Virtuous Secret. That's Victorious Secret. Oh, Victorious. Oh, yeah. Victorious Secret. Yeah, that's an even better pun. Victorious Secret. And uh, they made little handout cards that with a seductive woman's eyes looking at you. Um, so they are edgy. Uh, Say the least. That's <laughs> a very nice adjective to use they're edgy and and so that's going on in the southern baptist convention but that's amid all sorts of issues where lgbt issues are popping up left and right in the southern baptist convention um the critical race theory issues are all over the place in the sbc and you have voices like tom askell and others who are very hard against these issues al moeller who's against these issues but in a softer way and then you start moving into like neutral slash uh, favorable voices toward these things. Uh, Pastor McKissick, I forget his first name, starts with a D. Um, he's in the Southern Baptist Convention. He's very much pro critical race theory. Someone who went to school with us, D.A. Horton, uh, mm-hmm. who's in the Southern Baptist Convention. He is joining, oh, Dwight, Dwight McKissick. He's joining Dwight McKissick here soon to promote critical race theory in the SBC. Mm-hmm. So they are headed toward some major fights. And major formal separations, it seems. Yeah, and those issues are not, you know, you referenced, you know, that David Hughes character in his church. Some might say, well, that's just an individual church, What you know, the SBC as a whole. Well, there are issues, you know, at the very heart and root of the of SBC issues, you know, the uh, their seminaries, some of the stuff is being taught at seminaries and things like that. And so that's where there's a lot of concern, and we're not, because we're not here trying to put the SBC on blast. But we're trying to recognize that, hey, okay, there are issues here that are cropping up within the SBC that are issues that deal with first-column theological and behavioral issues that we need to be aware of and talk about in the context of what separation looks like. So we're using them as an illustration and as as an example uh, that can be helpful for us. So. And I think something that people are going to experience is the difficulty in discerning whether something is a first column issue or a second column issue on these things, Mm. because it's all very nuanced, isn't it? Um, it, It's not just, okay, is this church officially stating in their doctrinal statement they are pro-homosexuality? If it was that black and white, it would be very easy, but it's not that black and white. You've got all sorts of miniature evolutions taking place in churches that show themselves in a variety of ways, uh, in a little comment in a sermon here, or in a two-minute Twitter video clip there, or um, in this article that was republished by this organization over here, and okay, he hasn't said anything, but he's associating with this guy who has said something, and that gets really difficult. Uh, So knowing when to separate is difficult, but there's more than just that formal separation. There's actually... I wouldn't rub what, shoulders with someone to rub shoulders with someone rub shoulders with a Southern Baptist. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Too many shoulders being rubbed. Um, 
That could be taken the wrong way. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> there isn't just formal separation. If formal separation was the only way that we could separate, uh, then we would have some really hard decisions to make. But there's another option. There are actually two more options. But one of them being semi-formal separation. That's what we're calling it today. And um, this is more second column based than it is first column based. So again, think of those bullet points in your mind of how you can define this. And this separation would apply to some levels of cooperation, but not every level of cooperation. Some of these levels of cooperation still may be major levels, but um, perhaps it's not all levels. You're not cutting them off completely, but you're saying, look, here and here, I just can't go forward with you in cooperation. And it might be something that's announced publicly. It might not be. And it could develop into a sort of a, an unwritten rule sort of situation where it's like, look, these are good guys. We agree on a lot of things. They're going to heaven. But I'm just not associating with them because of things in the past. And you just kind of let it let that be what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and those are all really difficult uh, conversations and things to think through. But... But you have to think through it. Yeah, and sometimes that separation may may occur. You may have separation with the with one group on one issue, but have unity with them on another issue. So, mm-hmm. so I could give an example. There's a, there's some individuals and in some there's a church that I like the guys. I, I enjoy spending time with them, uh, and I've learned from them and things of that nature. But there's some of the way that they approach some things. I find myself not in full agreement with the way they they tackle particular issues, and so I have kind of withdrawn from some aspects of of activity with that, even though I still affirm them as brothers and participate with them in different things where I don't find so some of those their tactics to be as objectionable in other areas. And so sometimes yeah. you have to make that dis- discernment between, okay, I'm still affirming them as brothers, but I'm going to engage with them in this activity, but not that activity. Yeah. So. And, and those are tough because like on paper, you could agree with almost everything. There could be a doctrinal statement where you guys would totally agree on some specific issues. And it's just the way that those things play out there or even their attitude here recently. I've had a run in with somebody who we would agree on all whole bunch of stuff, but his attitude was just awful. And I didn't want to be associated with them because of that, you know, um, or the tactic is just disagreeable and maybe not even objectively wrong, but just disagreeable right. because we wouldn't do it that way. And that, those are tough calls to make. Uh, so I want to sympathize with all of you out there who are thinking through these issues and maybe a, a church setting or something like that. Very difficult, but it's important to think through them. And we also see semi-formal separation, not just in these you know, like crises moments where like, oh man, I'm just, this is a really dangerous place for our denomination or a dangerous place for me and my family with our church because we don't know if we should stay or we should go. But these semi-formal separations actually exist all the time in very healthy ways. Um, like we were mentioning, uh, the IFCA International uh, group we're a part of. There's healthy separation from other Christian groups because we just don't agree on enough things to be able to work shoulder to shoulder effectively. And that's okay. You know, let's recognize that. Um, the, uh, the church down the street that 
they love the Lord. They're doing great things for the kingdom, but you know what? They're continuationists. <laughs> and uh, we just can't do a, a night of, of praise together um, because someone's going to want to like come down the aisle waving a banner and speaking in jibber jabber. It's just, it, it could happen and we don't want to join with them. It's okay to have those healthy, healthy lines drawn, right? Yeah. And, and, and again, this doesn't mean that we're anathematizing them necessarily. Yep. We wouldn't publicly announce this. Right. Yeah. And, and we, you know, if we were to cross paths with them in the store or something like that, we would greet them and be delighted yep. to do so, extend the right hand of fellowship type of thing. Pastors go to lunch together, yep. that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. All the, yep. And so, but it just again, when it comes to those those ministry things, there's mm-hmm. an impasse there. And it's, yes. it's not wrong to recognize that. And it's it's right. wise to recognize and to practice that separation on those issues. Yes. It, remember, in first column, separation, formal separation, it's the first Corinthians 5, don't even eat with such a one. Right. But now when we're moving to second column and it's the semi-formal, like we just said, go out to lunch, pastors can go out to lunch together, but they're probably not going to get together for a prayer night uh, with the two congregations because they're of that healthy semi-formal separation. Yep. Very good. And then uh, finally, informal separation, uh, the last type of separation we'll discuss today where, again, this is individuals with individuals. It's third column based, so not first or second even. It's the third column of doubtful things. This may only apply to select cooperation scenarios where maybe you can cooperate with that other individual on 95% of issues, but there are a few things that your consciences just aren't on the same page. So you can't really work together in that scenario. And what actually I think is most common is that others never even know. <laughs> uh, you have you maybe never told that other individual that you're not doing this ministry because of that person's stance on this issue or that issue. You just kind of abstain. You don't involve yourself. You don't ask to join, whatever, and you just let let it be what it is. Uh, that's, I think, most often how this plays out, this informal separation. It's never even really talked about. And again, we want to push back against that idea where it's good to talk about these things. I want to encourage you to do that. But um, it's also okay just to let things be and to never never talk about it if it's not that important. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know if I have a hell out to add to that at the moment. Um we we already talked a little bit about you know we kind of jokingly use the Christmas thing as an illustration, but there's all whole gamut of things within that third column where this could create issues within within yeah. a local church. You know if there's um, men's poker night. Oh uh, uh, yeah, that that's an example. <laughs> um, the uh, <laughs> there's this Saturday I'm going to go be a part of a fellowship and. Um, break bread with brothers who some of the guys there are going to be drinking and smoking. And I'm not going to participate in that because that doesn't... You're going to be coming home (laughs) smelling like (laughs) an ashtray. What's Lizzie going to think? The smoking will be outside, so no worries there. all right. Uh, But, you know, the fact that they're going to be doing those things doesn't bother me, and the fact that I'm not going to be doing those things isn't going to bother them. But there may be an individual that just even just being a part of, of that dinner, that's going to oh, cause problems. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I totally respect. I think that's very common. Yeah. And I respect and understand that for sure. And I wouldn't, 
wouldn't try to push anyone. And that's, I think that's a big issue within the third column as well is we, we talk about these things and we can reason with and we can challenge people's convictions, mm-hmm. but we should never push someone to violate <laughs> yeah. their conscience. And that, that is the hardest spot to land in those third column disagreements. So say you're separating from other people in your church or a group of people in your church based on an issue like that, the drinking and smoking group that whatever. Um, and you say, you know what, I should engage them on this topic and try to provoke them in their thinking in a godly way, not in a, you know, uh, any kind of wrong spirited way. That's good. I'd encourage you to do that. Now the hard part comes toward the end of the conversation when you still disagree that you let it go because mm. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably not going to change their mind in that first conversation or maybe in any of your conversations. But keep in mind, if this is in the third column, if this is a doubtful thing, it's got to stay there because what your flesh wants to do is elevate it to a primary thing so you can win and they can change and admit that you were right. Don't do that. Leave it in the third column. And if you still need to separate on an informal basis, that's fine. But if you elevate it and say, ah, I can't believe Christians are living that way. Any so-called brother would take a sip of alcohol. Okay, now you've just messed things up big time. So don't do that. Yeah. And vice versa. Oh, I, I can't yep. believe that there's a Christian that would not enjoy his Christian freedom in having a sip of alcohol. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, if that that flows two ways. That's just a two-way street there. Mm-hmm. So. So what we want to do is we want to recognize the truth that we have in God's Word. We want to debate when it's appropriate. We want to engage each other in debate. It's very helpful for us to provoke each other in that way. But in all things, show grace and humility. Mm. So whether it's a formal, semi-formal, or informal separation, we want to do these things. Recognize truth, debate, and show grace and humility. And uh, in so doing... We will all grow together as believers. Amen. Okay. Very good. Well, we hope this is this is helpful for anybody. If this if this stimulates your mind and it brings forward questions, or you wonder, oh man, I wonder what Ken and Jeremy would say about this particular issue or scenario, or if there's just something that's just like, what they said that I can't believe it, and you'll want to reach out to us and have that conversation. We encourage you to do so. Email us show at dotheology.com. Our Twitter handle is at DoTheology. We are accessible that way. You can uh, send us that message, ask the questions. We'd love to hear from you that way. And if this is helpful, we encourage you to leave a rating and a review at anywhere you can, if be that Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app that's, that, that's a feature of your app. We encourage you to do that. It really is helpful to us. And until next time, Theology. I pressed the wrong button. I accidentally exited the program. We're, we're, everything's okay. Everything's under control. We're getting there.